trust that as we come on a Sunday, we come to draw near to the Lord, as we just abandon the cares of our week in giving Him praise, the praise that's due to the honor of His name. And we just have that sense of God being present and the difference that that makes. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through as long as God is with you. Amen? I mean, the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the storm. Raging storm. But nothing was going to happen to them. I mean, Jesus knew this. He just was asleep in the boat. <laughs> and so as long as... Um, some would say, as long as Jesus is in your boat, I wouldn't even say that. As long as you're in the boat with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're in the boat with Jesus. Because sometimes we think Jesus is in our boat, but he's in his boat. <laughs> he's in his boat, and we're in our boat. So yeah, praise be to God. The Lord is ever present by his spirit, ever near to those who call upon his name. And what a blessing and a privilege it is. So we're um, continuing our series in the Beatitudes and considering the, the qualities and virtues of kingdom citizens and the way in which they actually reflect the life of God. And so um, there's been a, a couple of weeks already. You can catch up on those on the podcast on sermon.net if you haven't um, heard or you weren't here. And um, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, but today we're going we're gonna to jump right in um, to the first of the Beatitudes. And um, I've entitled it Bankrupt But Blessed. In an age when people are under ever-increasing stress because of debt, student loans, mortgages, um, some people multiple, um, high rents, credit card debts. There are many who have, and do take the course of bankruptcy, which is to declare themselves unable to meet their financial commitments, unable to meet their debts, and they go to court and they will have an a, a order passed declaring that to be their financial status in order that arrangements are made with their creditors um, and yet they experience the setback of that. They're unable to um, be a director of a company. They're unable to, to get credit um, without disclosing the fact that they are a bankrupt, um, and some people take that as a necessary measure because they can't do any better. And for so many people, that is the height of failure from a financial point of view. They, they resist it to the end, even as much as it might be a means by which they can be helped. I refuse to go and declare myself bankrupt. And yet, as with the kingdom of God, we see that it's an upside-down world. It's an upside-down kingdom. Because 
it is in that moment and is at that point when actually we are truly blessed. And so let's read um, the first of these Beatitudes. In fact, let's read all of the Beatitudes um, as a reminder and then we'll pray. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, amen, my sister, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Lord God, for your word and for the encouragement and the joy that you promise to those who are yours. And Lord, I pray that we would have a, a real sense of clarity as to who the poor in spirit are, Lord, and, and, and what kind of joy is to be received in that place. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that, Lord, you would enlighten us, that you would inform us, that, Lord, you would challenge us, um, that, Lord, you would build us up, that you was, would draw us near to you, and that, Lord, you would fill us with your joy and happiness. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is our focus today. And as Jesus shares this, he's speaking to his disciples. And as Jesus is sharing the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 to 7, he's speaking to his disciples. So often as Christians, we can kind of think, okay, well, that's for those who are seeking or who don't know the Lord and um, you know, that kind of part of the, the Bible is really good for them, but I'm on to meatier things now, and so that's not really applying to me. Um, I'll just gloss over and go for the, for the deeper stuff. But actually, we see from the outset, his disciples came to him. And so Jesus was speaking to his disciples. This is, these are truths for us who are followers of Christ. And yet these truths are not just for us, but they're for all. Because by the end of the sermon, the crowds who were listening in to this conversation Jesus was having with his disciples were astounded at his teaching. So it's to the disciples, it's to us, but it's for everyone. Amen? 
So blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this really mean? Now, before we even consider who are the poor in spirit and what does it mean to be poor in spirit, really, the first thing I would say is this. When we look at this verse, the first of the Beatitudes, we see that the outcome is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And likewise, and you may have kind of noticed this in your readings of the Beatitudes, um, and it might have kind of pricked your attention. The last of the Beatitudes also has that same outcome, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But it's a different group that are being spoken to, quote-unquote, or a different condition being highlighted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So you've got blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted, and for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first beatitude, the last one. This tells us, this is, this is a, um, regarded as a, a particularly Jewish style of writing, and it's called an inclusio or an inclusion. Or basically, they're bookends. So the first statement marks the opening. The, the rep repetition of the phrase marks the other end. And everything inside the two refers to the repetitive phrase, which is, in this case, the kingdom of heaven. So the Beatitudes is all about kingdom living. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, they say. But nobody ain't trying to die to get there. See, the reality is that everybody faces death. And all of us want heaven. Furthermore, we don't just want heaven when we die. We want peace of it right now. Am I lying? When we pray, thy will on earth, as it is in heaven, we, you know, we're glad to be able to pray that. Because at the end of the day, as we, oh my days, community group. That's all I've got to say in my days. Happiness. We all want happiness. And we don't just want it when we die. We want it now. And there is a happiness being promised to the kingdom citizens of God, which is now in part, but later everlasting. And so, as it relates to the kingdom of heaven, us going to heaven, but also us even experiencing heaven, these beatitudes break down the qualities and virtues of those who would actually experience the reality of heaven in their lives. So what about the poor in spirit? Who are the poor in spirit? What does it even mean to be poor in spirit? Now, on the face of it, many would look at that and say, well, to be poor in spirit, does that mean just basically to be poor? So if you're poor and you've spiritually embraced that, then you're blessed. 
I would say no and yes. <laughs> All of my community group crew, crew, you know that's coming, isn't it? No and yes. So there is a sense in which the Bible does speak about the significance of financial poverty, social poverty in an individual's life. But this isn't primarily what Matthew is speaking about here. It's not speaking primarily about social poverty and the deprivation and the powerlessness that comes with that. It's talking about being poor in spirit. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes according to Luke, you will notice that Luke doesn't say poor in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor. And even in that, Luke is, is recognizing, actually, there is something about the experience of the poor that puts them in a place, in a frame of mind or attitude of heart, that causes them to be more open to God's blessing. So, when we consider more fully what it means to be poor in spirit, what we see is being practically poor can encourage a sense of being poor in spirit. There is a lack of self-assurance. There, a, a, there is a recognition of one's deficit, of one's lack. There is a recognition of the powerlessness of being able to change a situation, to change their life in such a way that causes the people who are poor to be open to help. And so there's a relationship between the two. But being poor in spirit is not the exaltation of poverty. It's also not being sad about poor circumstances in your life. And so you might not consider yourself poor, and you know, it's hard for us in the West, here in London, one of the richest cities in the world, to actually genuinely consider ourselves poor. With all of the advantages that we have in contrast to the developing world. Even somebody who's on benefits, even someone who's homeless, still has certain things afforded to them that people in, in, the, in, the, in the developing world, they don't, they don't see, they don't have those kind of advantages. So if we want to cry poverty, let's really think about uh, what, what we're using to reference and to measure our, our sense of poverty against. But it's therefore not being sad about our poor circumstances, whatever we may consider that to be. It's not sad that we're, we don't have a bigger house. It's not being sad that even we've been a victim. Uh, you know what? Dad wasn't there when I was growing up. My mom, she was just hardcore, and, and she was somebody who really didn't show love apart from the beating kind of love. And she would always tell me it's tough love. And I went to a, a, a poor school where the teachers didn't care. They just turned up for the paycheck. And 
I didn't get any grades at school because the other pupils in my class, all they ever used to do was just make madness and noise and trouble. And it's not sadness at being a victim. This isn't what it means to be poor in spirit. It's also not despising wealth and riches as ungodly. And having a commitment to the poverty gospel. You didn't know there was a poverty gospel, right? It's true there is. Because there are some who would say, Jesus' um, instruction to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and come and follow me, is how we ought to live. That's true Christianity. So if you drive a car that's anything um, more, um, anything less than um, 10 years old, then you're an you're a unrighteous Christian. You're a poor representation of a Christian. And if you buy new clothes and you don't shop from charity shops, then you're a poor representation. And there are people who feel that that's a, a, a reflection of real godliness. And so shunning riches and, and shunning wealth. But that's in 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, God has given all things for our enjoyment. But challenge the rich not to rely in their uncertain riches. And so we don't preach a prosperity gospel, but we don't preach a poverty gospel. And this isn't what this is, is saying here. What we see is that to be poor in spirit is to have a bankruptcy of heart. It's recognizing our bankruptcy before God. Whether we're poor and have no money, living on benefits, or we're rich and renting out multiple properties, you know what? In any of those, and either of those positions, it is very possible, and furthermore, not just possible, but necessary, that that individual have a bankruptcy of heart. Now, we see this um, depicted in the observation of Jesus as he watched two men go into the temple to pray, as found in Luke 18. Let me read these verses. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. 
but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so in these two individuals, we see the contrast in attitude between one who is poor in spirit and one who is rich in spirit. One who had a, a bankruptcy of heart and one who was self-assured and filled with self-righteousness. You see, a true poverty of spirit is recognizing that we come before God and we have no claim and no sense of entitlement before him. Furthermore, it's not even just that we come and we have no claim and we have no sense of entitlement, but furthermore, we recognize that we're indebted to God. I remember once I was out in Brixton, um, and they had a, um, what do they call it, Brixton Splash, um, or Sun Splash, Reggae Splash, something like Brixton Sun Splash. Um, and at that time, um, they had set up a stage around um, Cold Arbor Lane entrance to the market, and um, some friends of mine were, had an opportunity to be on the stage as, as artists, and they were sharing, and they called me in, this was years and years and years ago, called me up to kind of come up with them, and um, I just had the opportunity to, to share the gospel. And as I stood there, and Brixton's a place I've grown up in, so I kind of know the area, few familiar faces, certain notable faces, you know, those individuals are ghetto fabulous, and people kind of like, oh, such and such, and such is here. And I stood there, and I was just feeling compelled, like, Lord, give me something to say to these people that would connect with them in this instant. And I remember sharing with them that our need for Jesus is like a, a person's need for benefits from the social services. Because I thought, we're in Brixton. And, you know, you've got a lot of people that are, I mean, them times it weren't gentrified like it is now. So you had a lot of hardship in Brixton. Yeah, and I said, us going to the social services, we can't go to the social services and expect any help from them if we already have a sense of self-sufficiency, if we already have at least some of what we need. You're not going to get a crisis loan if you've got savings. They're not going to take you onto the homeless person's unit if you're not homeless and you have somewhere to stay. You turn up there flossing jewelry and you put your Mercedes car key down on the, on the desk as you come in to make a benefit claim. Immediately they're going to be investigating your claim before you've even made it. <laughs> but when you come in there with your torn up black bags, multiple, Clothes hanging out the holes. And you've got nowhere to go. And they can see your hardship and they can see the reality of it. It's then that they will engage the help and the assistance that is available to you. And this is how we are to come to God. Recognizing that before him, we have nothing to bring by which we can claim any kind of credit, any kind of um, 
merit, any kind of favor, we're empty. This is true poverty of spirit. This is what it really means to be poor in spirit. And you see, it doesn't matter what you have in your life. There are, there are many who have riches and even in the time of Christ had riches, but even recognize that those riches cannot help them when it matters. There's a brother that I met um, recently, and he is, I, I learned afterwards, uh, um, having met him, somebody said to me, that is probably the richest man that you will have ever met in your life, and probably will ever meet in your life, um, worth hundreds of millions. I'm not going to tell you his name so that you can try and check me to get a link, <laughs> to get a brigade. Introduce me, please. You say. <laughs> I've mentioned no names. But I want you to hear the circumstances under which I met this individual. This was an individual who, even though he was suffering from cancer and undergoing treatment, but far from all clear, he was in a session that I was running, encouraging people to share the word one-to-one. -to, -one, to get encouraging believers, encouraging missionaries in training and others who were there to actually come alongside others and share the word of God one-to-one. -to -one. Take time to come alongside an individual and just read the Bible together. And the, the, the significance of that moment just caught me in the sense that this is a man who not only has all of the riches that somebody could ever desire and more, and just on that basis alone could really be doing something else with his life, doing something else with his time, finding new ways to spend his riches, finding new ways to just spend the interest on his riches. <laughs> and yet he's there taking time out of his what could be very short life that remains. To, to esteem and to hold up the preciousness and value of God's word more than anything. I mean, he could have quite legitimately been saying, look, you know what, I'm, I'm going through treatment and, and I'm just going to spend time with my family. And that's the most important thing for me right now because I don't know what the future holds. And yet, as one who is so wealthy, and yet even would have cause to cry victim, I mean, who chooses to get cancer? Nonetheless, none of those things were more, more important. None of those things gave him excuse to not esteem God and his word as more precious than even life itself. And so this bankruptcy of heart is something that fundamentally is nurtured by God's spirit. But it is something that we are to respond to and to embrace. 
Jesus said in the book of John that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment that is to come. He is at work in every single one of our lives and at work in every single person's life showing us, look, you know what? We don't have any claim before God. We don't have any rights before God. Furthermore, we are indebted to God because we have sinned against him. We have violated his sovereignty. We have not treated him as the most high, but we have treated ourselves as the most high. We have put ourselves first before him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. That is treason of the highest order. We think November 5th coming up, Guy Fawkes, bonfire, fireworks. You know, this guy was caught trying to commit treason against the government. And we're still celebrating that today. How many hundred years later? It was so significant. He was trying to blow up the government, the houses of parliament, the gunpowder plot. Every day of our lives, we are executing a gunpowder plot. As we choose to put ourselves before God. You see, when we recognize the extent of our sinfulness before he who is immaculately holy, impeccably perfect, it is only then that, that we really begin to realize the extent of the debt, that, 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 the inexhaustible debt of our sin that we cannot afford to pay. Isaiah 66 says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Notice how God's flexing. His greatness, his sovereignty, his power. Heaven is my throne. Not even my house, you know. Just my throne. <laughs> and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? I ask you, pray do tell. All these things my hand has made. I'm and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So in, 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 in view of God's greatness and God's power and God's authority and God's might, he says, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one that I'm going to give attention to. I mean, we're trying to get a bring-in from a millionaire. God's like, million? Million what? Like, do you know who I am? And yet, I'm looking for this person. You don't even have to look for a bring-in because I'm looking for you if you're this. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's, that's poor in spirit right there. He who is humble, having a proper view of ourselves. You know, often people think that humility is really to go around and beat yourself up and, and, and you know, really just kind of, all kind of self-hatred and so on. And, and that's, not the, that's not true humility. True humility is having a proper view of ourselves. 
In Romans 12, it says, let no one think more highly of themselves than they ought to. You're like, then they ought to. So there's a certain level to which I should think highly of myself. Hmm, what kind of level is that? Well, it's not in us and of us, but we're made in God's image. Okay, well, that's a great thing to be made in God's image, and it wasn't anything we had anything to do with. And so there's, there's high favor there. We're greater than the animals. I say to the young people all the time when we're working with them, listen, have some self-control. We're not animals. And there's a, bigger, there's a bigger agenda in me saying that because evolution says we're animals, right? We're just, we're just evolved. We're just more evolved. But when people begin to live like animals, they use that as a justification. These feral, feral youth. Using terms like they're herds, packs of animals. God forbid. We're created in God's image and likeness. Christ gave his life to save you. That confers value. That confers worth. So often, people, you, you know, you watch those shows where they have the auctions and that, yeah? And um, they, they, they've got this item, and the specialist, the expert is like, yeah, yeah, this item's not really worth much at all. And then all of a sudden, somebody's coming and they're paying 10 times the value of it. And they're just like, I can't believe somebody would pay so much for such cheap tosh. <laughs> and people, are, but there's no doubt that that person paying 10 times the value means that that had, that had value to them. Regardless of how much everyone else said it was worth, to that person, it was worth that much. Inherently within ourselves, we're corrupted by sin. What value do we have to a perfect God? And yet God confers value. He places value. He declares the value that you have to him by sending his only son to die for you. And yet in the face of all of that, humility is recognizing that's not because of me. It's not because of me. It's like when somebody applauds you for giving a good quote that you quoted from somewhere else. <laughs> and if you're humble, you're quick to say, you know what, that would, that, I didn't make that up. I got that from somewhere. But we're plagiarists really, in it? So we'll just take the credit. Humility is having a, a, a proper view of ourselves in the light of God. And contrition, con contrite, that's not a, a common word. It says it's a feeling or expression of remorse at the recognition that one has done wrong. And so as we come to the Lord with, with, with a, a heart that is poor in spirit, this, this is the way that we come to him and this is what pleases him this is the one to whom he has favor the one he looks on the one he celebrates the one he checks for the one he brings in the one he blesses and makes happy because he is happy when our response to him is one of humility and contrition and bankruptcy of heart And we see the contrast because contrition is feeling or expressing remorse 
And so you feel down. You feel regretful. You feel repentant. You recognize, you know what? I'm not all that and a bag of chips. I really ain't. And yet, in contrast, Jesus says, you feel this way, but feel happy. Blessed are you because God is happy with that attitude of heart. And if you've ever felt like that, you know, I, I, I would definitely say there is a sense in which where we have such a, a focus and highlight on the increase in the experience of depression, depression that is felt by many, even among the young, and is regarded to be um, on the rise, and maybe it's just because it's just more widely reported, um, whether that's a clinical depression that is an ongoing um, experience of depression that goes beyond circumstance, or it's that feeling of depression at times, as we all feel it in life, when there's just a deep unhappiness. I do believe that in that, there is a means by which God is getting our attention. There is something in that that will be liberating if we embrace it. If we come and say, actually, I feel depressed. I feel like rubbish. But you know what? There is a sense in which I ought to feel like that. Because I'm bankrupt. How can I help myself? Well, I need a savior. There's liberation in that admission. And being able to recognize that we may feel that way. And we have good reason to feel that way. And it sounds counterintuitive in our days. Like, no, no, build their self-esteem and tell them how wonderful they are. Well, yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But our recognition of that comes in the one who made us. And we, we can't... We can't Rejoicing even being fearfully and wonderfully made without acknowledging that there was a point where it all went wrong and corruption entered into the human experience. And we live with that corruption like a person lives with a limp. And it brings us to that place of recognition that we're exhausted. We can't do it no more. There's no point trying. It's okay if you've ever felt like that. It's okay if you feel like that now. It's okay. Blessed are you. Because Jesus is the savior. He's the rescuer. He is the lifter of our heads. Amen? Praise be to God. It's not reliant on us. And so who is poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? Or are you rich in spirit? I want to share with you an illustration that I, I came across on just how perspective really makes the difference in how we answer that question. So, one day... The father of a very wealthy family took his son on a trip to the country 
with the express purpose of showing him how poor people live. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what would be considered a very poor family. On their return from the trip, the father asked his son, Son, how was the trip for you? Oh, you know what? It was really great, Dad. Son, did you see how poor people live? The son said, I really did, you know, Dad. Dad felt mission accomplished. He said to the son, son, tell me, what, what did you learn from the trip? The son answered, Dad, I saw that we have one dog, and they had four. That we have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us. They have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, thanks, dad, for showing me how poor we are. Isn't perspective a wonderful thing? And so how we answer this question is very much a matter of perspective. You see, the dad thought others were poor and he was rich. The son saw others were rich and they were poor. Perspectives. As soon as we think others are poor in righteousness we run the risk of self-righteousness and being self-assured and fundamentally not being poor in spirit, but being rich in spirit. We are not poor in spirit if we think we are more righteous than that Christian we don't rate. Come on now. Or if we think the, the church down the road whose teaching we look down on isn't as good as us. We are not poor in spirit if we think we are better in God's sight than those young guys in balaclavas doing road. Or girls selling themselves for money. That's not the character of what it really looks like to be poor in spirit. We are not poor in spirit if we regard ourselves as righteous because we are not like dot, dot, dot. We are not poor in spirit. Like the Pharisee who looked down on the tax collector. Unless we recognize 
our righteousness is received from Jesus, we are not poor in spirit. You see, the scripture makes it clear there is none good. And so the definition of being poor in spirit is not derived from how we compare to anyone else other than Christ. If we're going to start making comparisons, let's just start and end with Jesus. The troubling thing is, if we do not recognize that our righteousness is received from Jesus, then actually we are not righteous. And that means that we are in judgment, in, in danger of judgment itself. You see, when it comes to being poor in spirit, it's important also that we recognize that we are not poor in spirit if we think God owes us anything except judgment. We are not poor in spirit if we think God owes us because of the hardship we've been through or the suffering we've experienced because the opportunities we've lacked, or even because of our efforts for the kingdom. The sacrificial pay cut that we took in order to do ministry. Or the willingness to sacrificially live in a more expensive area for the sake of ministry. Or the fact that we travel far each week to church. God don't owe you for those things. He don't owe you for your service in church on a Sunday and because you're part of a team. He doesn't owe you because you financially support the church. God doesn't owe you for spending extra time in fellowship after a service on Sunday. We're not doing God any favors. And the moment we fall into that place of thinking that he does, we're not poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit, come before the Lord. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to the cross I cling. When we like the tax collector, and you have to understand, the tax collector was somebody who was someone of bad reputation. In those days, the tax collector was like those payday loans. Any amount of them, them extortionate 3,000% APR. <laughs> Furthermore, the tax collector wasn't even just, it, the tax collector was worse than one of those payday loans companies because everybody had to pay tax. At least if you're going to take a payday loan, it's a choice, right? But when the tax collector comes knocking and he, he, he wants to add, your, add to your tax bill, I mean, who loves the tax man at the best of times? Let alone a corrupt one who's fleecing the taxpayer. Like the MP that's claiming extra expenses at taxpayer's expense. And yet the tax collector cried out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man went down justified. 
But everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted, will receive the kingdom of heaven. Will genuinely be a citizen in the kingdom. And so where are you at today? Do you have any sense of entitlement? Do you have any sense of God owing you? Or can you just simply say, you know what? Lord, I know I don't deserve anything from you. Not even the mercy that I need most. Or are you someone who comes to God and you say, God, you know what? I've got some debts. I, I admit it. But if you just do this for me, if you just give me some cheap accommodation so I can rent out my property, and then I'll clear my debts and I'll be all right. And God says, you will clear your debts. You obviously don't realize how bad your debts are. You want me to just kind of give you a little fix-up to help, help sort yourself out. There is no sorting yourself out. There is no little fix-up that I'm going to give you. I'm just going to give you a blessing and you'll be on your way doing your thing, trying to sort yourself out. No. You obviously don't realize how bad it is. You think that you've simply got a flesh wound when you're about to lose a limb. And so may we come as he who says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Because in this is a true sense of being poor in spirit. And as you have gone through your life experience and many of us have arrived at that place where we recognize you know what there's no help in me I am my own worst enemy I can't get myself out of the trouble that I've made for myself let alone get myself into a better position let alone get myself into heaven it's all right happy blessed are you when you come to that place of surrender admission I'm going to invite the team to come back. Um, and I'm going to encourage you to stand with us as I pray. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're here today and you've not ever come to that admission before God that you can't save yourself, that you can't help yourself in the ultimate sense when it matters most. If you've tried on your own steam, you've tried on the credit of your parents or your praying grandmother or some of us when we compare ourselves against others, we'll be surprised that God in his mercy will allow them to enter into heaven. I mean, God in his mercy would let us in, right? And we'll be there looking and we'll be like, what? My man's here. Wow. I would never have thought. 
Who knew? But none of us deserve to be there. I think the angels would very well be surprised to see us all there. <laughs> Lord, the fact that you, lot this, you let this lot in. We were doing all right up here, you know. <laughs> but God in his mercy and grace, through Christ, Jesus cried out as he hung on the cross, paid in full. He cleared our very debt. And not only did he clear our debt, he credited our account with an eternal credit. Praise be to his holy name. And we know this because God raised him from the dead. And he's alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's making intercession for us. Constantly, constantly declaring the value of his blood over our lives to those who believe. Father, we thank you so much for giving your son, Jesus, the very one declaring these blessings, declaring these, this happiness that is for those who are of this heart. The very one who has paid in order for us to be able to enjoy such happiness and blessing. The very one who said, it's okay, I've got the bill. I've taken care of the check. It's okay. I've got you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for truly you are the sovereign God who is great in grace mighty in mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your generosity towards us. <clears throat> Help us, Lord, I pray, not to take it for granted and not to look down on others as if we are better. What do we have that we did not receive? Thank you, in Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.